0: Human beings are attracted to being against something. They form tribes in reaction to what they're against, even more than what they're for.
1: Thrive friends, this is your host, Dr. Solomon. How can we generate intense emotional reaction from a large number of people to achieve a specific outcome and do it persuasively and ethically? I'm joined today by a terrific professional colleague and a friend, Michael F. Shine, who is Amazon best-selling book The Hype Handbook. Specifies 12 strategies to create a hype and generate emotional reaction. Michael is founder and president of marketing agency Microfame Media, where he helped campaigns for eBay, Upenn, Gordon College, UC Irvine, LinkedIn, Citrix, you name it. Michael, welcome on Thrive.
0: That's great to be here.
1: Lovely to have you, Michael. We always have wonderful, exciting conversations. We do. Michael, let's start with the word. In the beginning was the word. What do you mean
0: by hype? Well, you know, you did your homework because you defined it uh, right there at the beginning of the episode. So, uh, you know, hype, typically has a negative connotation, but I've decided to take back the word for a couple of reasons. So I define hype very simply. It's just any set of activities that gets a large number of people emotional so that Mm -hmm. you can you know, guide them to a certain action that you want them to take. And, And that can be a very negative action. And a lot of negative people with nefarious ends are good at this thing that I call hype, but it can be some of the most positive stuff you can imagine. But the actual set of strategies that get human beings to get emotional, to attract their attention, to move them, are amoral. It's just the way we're set up. So it's a function of, are you going to let the bad guys use it, or are you going to use it? And we need more good people understanding these strategies so that good businesses, good causes, good art can get seen, you know, in a very big way. They've done some really interesting studies, social scientists. And one of them was, um, they looked at a bunch of people with various forms of antisocial personality disorders. So that's, you know, extreme narcissism, sociopathy, psychopathy. And they put them in laboratory conditions that were very stressful or that simulated stressful situations. And they found that um, compared to a control group, their heart rates didn't go up. You know, they didn't get elevated pulse, elevated heart rate. So what that said to me is that the reason that a lot of these sort of nefarious individuals, these narcissists and people like that are so good at hyping themselves up isn't because hype itself is bad. It's that those kinds of people don't let emotion get in the way. They, they see the world as a chessboard, right? And so the idea is what if the rest of us could arm ourselves by learning how to use these exact same psychological mechanisms that we're all wired to respond to but instead of trying to mitigate the emotion that tells us, ah, oh, this isn't the right thing to do. As long as you're not lying, as long as you're doing things for people's you know, um, best interest, wouldn't it balance out, as you said, the societal harm that all of these antisocial people are doing if, if the rest of us could, you know, avail ourselves of these strategies?
1: You mentioned 12 different strategies in your book. And the first one is very intriguing, Michael. Make war, not love. Right. I'll tell you, I, I had strong emotional reaction. And I think, as we know, in psychology, it's, it, it's about me more than about the statement. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And, oh, and I said, make war, that is strong. But at the same time, I know that people use this all the time in social media. What's your take on that?
0: Well, when we were talking offline, you you brought up a really cool phrase that I was waiting for you to say. I think you said, "If you enrage, you engage." And the idea is that yes. that anger travels, um, anger and humor, but especially anger travels really widely. But but we might say to ourselves, "Well, listen, I'm not going to avail myself of that." I, I you know as much as that, um, is is a good way to get my messages to spread. I'm not going to be a troll. I'm not going to pick fights with people. And you know that's true. And and I can I can get behind that. In fact, I don't i don't even advocate being a troll going around insulting people's looks insulting people yelling at people i I, you know that that can work but is it how we really want to live our lives but what i'm saying is human beings are attracted to being against something they form tribes in reaction to what they're against even more than what they're for but you can make war with an idea you don't have to make war with a person you don't have to make war with someone's you know personality traits right so you don't have to get people angry you can draw lines in the sand. So to give you an example that I, I write about in the book and that I use often is that there's a company called Basecamp, mm-hmm. which so you've heard of them. So they're a project management software, very boring stuff on its on its face, software that companies use to manage their their workflows, right? Mm-hmm. So before them, what most project management software companies would do, they would just add all these features and benefits and bells and whistles because one client would ask for it, and then all the other clients they would figure would want it as well. And what Basecamp did is they created a very simple tool. It does like five things. Now, what they could have done to sell that is gone out and say, hey, Basecamp is a great tool because it's not (laughs) complex and it's easy to use, but they didn't do that. They picked a fight with dominant work culture. So they, they wrote a book called Rework that said, listen, if you're working seven days a week, that just means you're inefficient. It doesn't mean you're a hard worker. Fire your workaholics. So in other words, they didn't go around picking fights with their enemies, trying to get people angry. But they picked a fight with a way things were being done. And I think that's a... And and as a result, people love this company. You know, it's like a tribal kind of affiliation. And I think that's healthy. I mean, I I think calling out status quo dynamics, just the way things were always done, I I think some wars are meant to be fought. I don't think that's a bad war to have. I don't think that hurts anybody. I think it helps people.
1: How about if the idea is wrong or flawed and we have seen this a lot in politics where people with the louder voices and those who can trigger strong emotional responses get the highest attention and get a lot of followers on social media but the one that has let's say the facts feel handicapped because what can they do to trigger a strong emotional reaction when people don't want facts how can people who have strong valid argument make war to win over the more dominant wrong info sources.
0: I think it's about creativity. I mean I, I think I, I think this is a continuation of our earlier you know the first part yes. of this conversation. it's it, people a certain type of person, loud people, um, loud mouth, certain types of, of influencers, certain types of politicians, those people are going to do this stuff, right? Yes. It's been done since the beginning of time. There have always been demagogues. There have always yeah. been circus advancement, you know, th- yes. th- these people will do this. And, 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 and now we have the internet, so it spreads more widely, but, you <clears throat> know, uh, Martin Luther nailed I'm not saying he was one, but he nailed the uh, 96 theses, you know, that started the reformation Protestantism to a church. And what people don't think about is that the reason his, that that thing didn't go away is because someone took that off the church and used the printing press to print it and spread it all over the place if that had happened 100 years earlier no one would have heard about it right Mm -hmm. so you can say to yourself well all of those people are loud i don't have a chance and i don't want to use those tactics anyway or you could flip the script and get creative so i'll give you an example so (laughs) Even though I can be a little bit mischievous, I'm not. I'm, I'm conflict-avoidant by nature. I'm an easygoing guy. I, all my friends say that about me. I don't like conflict. I wish I liked it more, in fact. And um, you know, there's a a, a a marketing guru named Gary Vaynerchuk, which I don't know. Does your audience know who he is? Mm-hmm. So he has a lot of good things about him. I mean, he's a good businessman. At the same time, he's a loudmouth. I mean, he would probably tell you that himself. He curses like crazy, and I have nothing against cursing, but it's part of his shtick about being a loudmouth. He drowns people out and interrupts them. He um, screams, you know, young people ask him for advice. He screams at them. You don't have enough hustle. You don't have enough passion. If you have a part-time job, you're a loser. You're not a loser. You're never going to be an entrepreneur, you know, and so it's hard to compete with that because his personality is triple type A and mine isn't. And a lot of people's aren't, and people just accept it. They let him sort of dominate the conversation. So what I did uh, very early in my career, and it, it practically launched my career. I wrote a very measured article called why Gary Vaynerchuk is flat out wrong. The title's not measured, but the article was, it was, I t- said that he was a great business person, that he did a lot of great things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I respected him. But his idea about hustling around the clock, um, didn't for and I it laid out a very logical case about why it was a flawed idea. Mm-hmm. He saw this article and I cannot convey to you how much of a nobody I was at that time. This thing helped launch my career. it was ten years ago, but it, you know I no one knew who I was at that time, you know since then I've partially because it has gotten a bit of a name for myself. He saw the article and was so enraged that I would take him on that he recorded a rebuttal against this nobody calling me out by name and getting very agitated all of his followers started blasting me and they carried the message for me so you know it's kind of like the fly that gets in a bull's ear who's not very powerful but it can make if the the bull can destroy a shop you know if a bull's inside and a fly gets in its ear so if you calmly reveal the bluster and show that the Wizard of Oz has no clothing. That can be your point of view. The Wizard of Oz has no clothing. That was like a mixed, uh, a mixed metaphor there. Yeah. So yeah, creativity and 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 um, logic in the service of emotion go a long way.
1: And in your case, Michael, did this article lead to a change in people's perception?
0: Oh yeah, because oh. all of Gary's fans and they're, they're very diehard. They call themselves maniacs. Um, told me, they started blasting me on Twitter that I was lazy, which was very ironic because um, I was working like a dog because I was trying to make it, you know, yeah. and I didn't know what I was talking about and X, Y, and Z. But what I noticed was I started to get all of these fans and followers because there were all of these people out there who probably, well, no, not probably, did think exactly how I thought. But they were isolated. They didn't have anyone to kind of gather around. They just were like, "Ah, I don't know if I'm going to say something about that. And I might be wrong anyway. And then when I stood up and said, hey, wait a minute, there's another point of view. Suddenly they had a leader. Mm -hmm. They had someone who was willing to say in public what they didn't. And it it really, I I mean, without um, exaggeration, it was it was the start of everything for me. I mean, a lot came after it, but that was a before and after moment. I mean, that was when I started to build a name and build a client base and all of that.
1: What would be out of your 12 rules, the one that you would say, this is my favorite rule, or this is the rule I would say, you know what, out of the 12, take this one.
0: I don't think there are any that are my favorite because they work together, but Mm -hmm. um, there are some that are more fun to write about because they have more colorful stories. I would say that this rule that we're talking about is Mm -hmm. indispensable because it's, it's your point of view. If you don't have a strong, bold point of view, the rest of it doesn't matter. I mean, you can be a theatrical and, and you know, over-the-top and, you know, hype artist, you know, be a hi- big hype artist, but if you don't have a strong part, point of view that runs through everything, um, it, it's hard to make the rest work. One that I probably have used more than any is something I call building a secret society or the piggybacking method. Oh, that's um, for the
1: cults, Michael.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> so maybe, but but something I, I saw about... Um, these hype artists uh, is that almost to a one they make it seem like all of their following and success is coming from a grassroots level but in truth they're working beneath the scenes to make like alliances with people who have pull and can pull strings for them and who they can pull strings for so um to give you a story that's in the book but i think is really fun Uh, There's this guy named, um, not is, he's long since passed, but his name was Edward Bernays. Mm -hmm. And he was known as the father of PR. He actually invented the term public relations. Mm. And he's responsible for all kinds of things. But one of the things was he got Americans to eat bacon. So before him in the 20s, Americans did not typically eat bacon for breakfast. And um, he had as a client a company called Beech Nut, which is still around, but they were one of the major pork producers uh, of the time. And he wanted to get pork consumption up. Uh, So he had a doctor that he had assiduously built this relationship with. And this was this extremely well-connected, influential expert doctor. And he got this doctor to write a letter to like 5,000 physicians. You'll like this one in particular, because you, you're here, your fellow travelers. But he wrote a, a letter that basically said that bacon is the perfect breakfast food because it replaces the energy that you lose during sleep. This was in the 1920s, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah. So every doctor in America started, you know, recommending bacon to their patients. So the moral of this story is not to lie. I mean, obviously, Edward Bernays paid this guy off or, or conspired, don't do that. But what I'm saying is, a lot of times we think if we want to market bacon, you got to put ads everywhere. You need to get a million followers on Twitter and tell them how great bacon is. But sometimes one, two, or three well-placed people that you've cultivated a relationship with under the surface um, is worth more than that. And there are ways to do that. There, there, there are ways to bond with people um, that we can talk about if we have time that um, are very doable for anybody.
1: Without doing the harm that this... Yeah,
0: no. In, in fact, it can be very benevolent. You know, a lot of times, for example, the way I use social media, instead of trying to build a big following or say to someone, I want to pick your brain or, you know, can you help me out? I'll, I'll spend a lot of time looking at people I want to get to know, and I'll wait until they say something very human. So let's say they, they in the midst of all their business talk, they, they slip out with a band that they like, that I also like, or mm-hmm. a hobby, or... um I don't know a movie a sports team and then i'll talk to them about that because every person is still a human being how prominent they are and then you know you treat them like a friend you know you you bond with them you do favors if you have a podcast you ask them on for an interview if, if they if they have a kid who um needs advice about college and you can give advice give them advice about college give up things that are cheap for you to give up but valuable to them you know mm-hmm. And it's very doable to form that secret society, that old boys network, as they used to call it.
1: Mm -hmm. So by secret society, you're talking about cultivating professional relationships that would be beneficial for your career.
0: Yes, the reason I don't just call it networking is because what people tend to do is they, they network, they go to events, they pass out business cards, they go to cocktail hours, they schmooze. What I'm talking about is spending a lot of time creating your own old boys or old girls network. Mm-hmm. You know, people used to say, yes. it's who you know, so I'm never going to succeed in life. Well, you can get to know the right people. It's people that anyone, anytime you call them, they'll help you and you would help them, you know? And you don't have to trumpet those relationships everywhere you go.
1: At this age, it is easier to reach to people given that people have social media yeah. In the past, we only have
0: email. Well, before that, you had just—I mean, phone I mean, uh, I mean yep. someone—you know—phone numbers or, the, or their house, exactly, or their office, exactly. Which had, a, which had a, a executive assistant or secretary, as they used to call it.
1: And you can send a letter, but good luck
0: to get yeah, that attention. Right. So it's it's very different. And good luck getting a house address from an executive. Oh, yes.
1: On the point about finding a humanistic connection to someone you admire or someone you would like to make connection with one of your themes is strength is common but our weaknesses are unique and people are getting more and more into the humanistic component on the social media vulnerability and authenticity and i'm not sure how much is it vulnerability and authenticity and how much is it to get engagement on social media yeah what's your take on that
0: so what I'm talking about is a little different than the vulnerability thing that you're seeing. Yes. That that can work well if it's authentic. But like everything else, people jump on everything, including the word authentic, right? Yes. So like James Altucher, who I like, he has a podcast and books, and he always talks about his failures. But in a very like, oh, like really, he really is, is being genuine. Like he, mm-hmm. he talks about how he went broke and he was depressed and his divorces and this and that. And he's been doing it forever. And and it makes him human, you know? But now everyone's doing it. Renee Brown had to talk about it. That's not what I'm talking about. That might work, I don't know, but that isn't what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that kind of the opposite in a way is that people are attracted to people with over the top superhuman qualities. Like we all want heroes, right? So like Richard Branson takes hot air balloon rides uh, across the Atlantic Why does he do that? Like, what? I mean, other than fun, but if it was just for fun, why does he have the thing filmed the entire time and promote it? Because it makes him this larger-than-life symbol of adventure. But not all of us have the stomach for that, right? Like, not all of us can be, like, I'm not going to do a hot air balloon ride across I would want to do or anything like that. So let's say... We know, I call it being a magician. You know, it's like people want a hero or a magician, a mythic figure. But what if you're not that thing? How do you do that? Well, you can brag, but that's going to come across as false. You can't really be someone you're not. So what I'm saying is nestled in every one of your insecurities and your weaknesses is probably something you can flip into a strength. I'm not saying show how horrible you are and all of your vulnerabilities. I'm saying the opposite. So Andy Warhol was this... He was always good at, at art, I mean, even since he was a kid. But other than that, he was a complete mismatch for his time. He was a kid in the 40s, which was the World War II era. He was, he was feminine, you know, he was pathologically mm-hmm. shy. We, we call it social anxiety today. He was gay, you know, which at the time was criminal. He was extremely pale. He had He was balding very early. So what did he do? So he was balding. He didn't just get like a cheesy toupee or, or have that ring around the head. He got this glaring, obvious silver wig that became his trademark, which everyone copied. He was skinny, ultra skinny, not even. So what did he do? And, and pale skin. He became this creature of the night. You know, he was like he surrounded himself with other weirdos. He wore skin tight jeans, you know, and he became a fashion icon. He was pathologically shy. Now, how could you possibly be successful if you're that shy? Well, before him, artists always used to promote themselves and talk about their art and try to explain it. People would ask him, the press would say, why do you paint Campbell's soup? And he would go, I like soup, and then walk away. And people would say, what did he mean by that? What was it? it had to be something deeper, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And, and really, it was just a way of using his weakness as a strength. So what I'm saying is, Usually, weaknesses and strengths are two sides of the same coin. Like, I'm a people pleaser, and I used to hate that about myself. But my whole secret society concept comes out of my people pleasing. Mm-hmm. People tend to want to take me under their wing. They meet me, They not everybody, but people on balance, not only like me, but want to mentor me. Mm-hmm. And I could say, well, you know, I'm not an aggressive guy. That's a, that's a weakness. I don't say no enough, you know. But I've turned it into part of a cornerstone of my persona, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying to skew your therapeutic vulnerability all over the place. That's what people are doing now, and I'm, I'm not saying that. I hate that word authentic now because everyone uses it and it's yes. one of those words that mean nothing. Yes. But can I curse on this show? Is that something I can uh, do? Or not? You, you, no. I'll you say the can, word BS. Yeah. I'll say BS. I'm not going to Yes. F- oh, no. That, that's... People can sniff out BS. And if they can't yes. sniff it out right away, they're going to sniff it out eventually.
1: If you look at the literature, uh, after the economic crisis, when the society lost faith in the financial institutions, we start to see this increasing number of publications about authenticity. What happened? Humanity all of a sudden discovered authenticity. We were not authentic before. It's a reaction to an event and loss of trust. And so that was based
0: on lying and and showmanship and, you know, exactly falsehood with, with the subprime mortgages. There was nothing there. Yeah.
1: With every calamity, you usually get one trade that we study a lot. I'm sure after the COVID, we'll see yeah. as Lou about the resilience. That's a good, that's a good prediction. Yeah. yeah I,
0: I'm yeah. curious what'll come after that. You know, yes. I've thought about this. I think about, I have a 10 year old daughter and I wonder, this is a little bit off topic, but like when you're 10 or when you're five, a year is a big, much bigger you know, percentage of your life. So I wonder how it's going to manifest, what, what, the, what kind of conversations these kids will have in 10 years. Yes,
1: yes. And how they will communicate.
0: Yeah, exactly. How they'll communicate, what words they'll use to frame experience. I mean, all of that. Exactly.
1: Before we move to uh, the second part of this wonderful conversation, I'd like to ask the audience to open a new tab and to look up Michael's website, Michael Shine Michael What's
0: MichaelFShine.com? Yes,
1: Michael F. Shine, because there is another Michael Shine. Thankfully, he's not in any trouble. I had <laughs> a guest in the past where literally his name without the middle initial uh, was someone who is a criminal. So Michael doesn't have this problem, thankfully.
0: I hope not. I, I mean, I hope I hope the other Michael Schein is, you know, staying, staying uh, in the law and doing the right thing. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 And
1: look up his book, The Hype Handbook. It's based yeah. on social psychology. It's based on facts based on experiments. I think it's 170 pages or so, right, Michael?
0: And then all in all with the introduction and some afterward it comes out to just under 200, but yeah, yes. I think the bulk of it is about 170 or so. Yeah. So
1: it would not take long for you to read and it's it's now one of the best selling book in small business marketing on Amazon. Michael, we're talking about vulnerability, we're talking about uh, authenticity. A question that I ask everyone on the show, Thrive, we all had setbacks, myself included. Would you mind sharing one of yours and how did you overcome it?
0: I mean, yeah, I've had plenty as well. I mean, one of them was directly related to this topic, so I'll I'll go with that. Um, I, uh, I I I never wanted to be in business. I'm a little like you in that you had a totally different kind of path and that you went into something else, and I I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to be a writer which things have come full circle and i am but i wanted you know and and i i also liked music and so the music thing i got really interested in to the point where by the time i left college uh i i told my parents i was going to go to new york and like really focus on a band which they were not happy about <laughs> um but i did that um and um oh, well, your mom let you do this wow well there was no letting i mean they were yeah. <laughs> Happy about it. Yeah. You know, it was more my my dad who was not happy more than anybody, but um, it's just something I did. Um, but there were a lot of conversations, a lot of conversations. But but anyway, um, I did do it, you know. Um, and um I you know, I, I couldn't make it happen as a career. I c I didn't become a rock star, but I think I did better than anyone thought I would do, you know, because I'm not so, a great musician, honestly. Um, but we, this is where the word hype came from because we never thought about marketing. I didn't even know what that was other than like a college class I took, but we were talking about hyping things up. So we would do all of this mischievous kind of stuff to attract attention to the band. Um, and, and it worked and we would, we would get a lot of attention. We would sell out clubs and we got on the cover of, of a, of a news, you know, a newspaper called New York press. But then when I realized I couldn't make a living at it, I quit and I got a, I didn't quit. I mean, the band broke up and I got a corporate job. And um, in the first three years, I learned a lot. But eventually, it really, I really sort of lost my soul. It really wasn't what I should have been doing in the world. But I'm a hard worker, so I stayed there. And my paychecks got bigger. But by about eight years in, I was, I was like literally depressed. I mean, I was really not doing well. Uh, in, I was really in bad shape. And, and um, I, I eventually did leave. Um, and I had an idea. I said, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. I'm a good writer. And there's this opportunity. People are doing white papers and web mm-hmm. copy and it pays well. And since I'm a good writer, people will pay me for that. And I happen to know about technology now because of my corporate job. So yeah, this will do well. So I left now like a year's worth of savings and I couldn't get people to buy from me. Like I got a few deals from friends and things, but and a few referrals, but I just and I read every marketing book there was because by that point I totally had become a corporate kind of guy. And um, it was bad. I mean, I had an infant and um, I was losing all of my money uh, burning through all of my savings. I did not, it seemed intolerable to me to go back to that corporate job or I wouldn't have gone back to that job, but back to that industry, which was the call center industry. And that's all I had experience in. So I would have had to go back to that world and I I didn't like that world and it was tough and I I was really nervous. And then what happened was, um, how I got, and and yeah, I I was very close to throwing in the towel. And uh, what happened was, um, I walked past the bar, that club that I used to play at, Mm -hmm. and I remembered sort of who I used to be Mm -hmm. and what we used to do. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing all of this like marketing, you know, A-B testing and trying to figure out search engine optimization, which I'm not very good at, and messing around on social media, trying to build followers, and none of it is working. And I said, but I was so good at marketing back with the band I mean we got ourselves on TV we, we on Showtime at the Apollo because we knew we would be booed off so that got us you know and that would get us attention and it did and so I was like what if I you know I have nothing to lose why don't I try that approach for for myself so that's when I wrote the Gary Vaynerchuk article you know because my band was like a punk band so I was like let's take a punk rock approach to, to to business and um and it worked I mean I started getting a lot of clients and it turned into an agency so um I don't know what the lesson is there. Well, then I started researching all of this stuff and I realized that there really is, it's much better to start with group psychology and then match the tools to it than the other way around. Um, I guess the lesson though, from a personal point of view, other than that hype works, is that um, sometimes it really takes that like, that sort of strange solution that usually comes out of desperation. You know, when you do things the right way, as I was doing, um, sometimes the right way <laughs> isn't the right way. Yeah. And, and, and not breaking the rules, but maybe people say outside the box. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying get creative. What I'm saying is, you know, sometimes when I am doing a work task or not like doing a creative task that isn't directly related to my core business, I feel a little guilty still, like kind of like, yeah, I'm writing fiction or yeah, I'm, I'm doing an experiment with interactive media. Uh, but that doesn't bring revenue. So why am I doing that? You know. But sometimes it's those things that are that you shouldn't be doing according to the rule book that ends up generating the game-changing situation. I think Dory Clark talked about this. You know, she spends a lot of time working on musical theater, which really doesn't have any direct relation to her core business. But besides the fact that she loves it, to her. That's what makes her recession-proof, that she always has a bunch of things that she could possibly shift to if they get traction.
1: Yes, uh, she's very good in uh, diversifying portfolio.
0: Guided by her interests or by... She doesn't just, well, I should sell jewels on the side because that's another revenue source. She's a theater. What's the chance that that's gonna, you know... You don't do that because you're trying to get rich.
1: And your point about do something that is not conventional, there is the law or the theory of unintended consequences.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's a great book that that I love called The Click Moment by Franz Johansson. He's more known for the Medici effect, which is also a good book, but this is a bet I like this book better. And he talks about how, he actually like talks about quantum mechanics in, in, in a business book, but he talks about how randomness is a real thing. Like, like <laughs> the world is random, the universe is random. And so everyone tries to strategize. And while some amount of strategy is useful, usually the people who succeed are the ones who take bets and have an eye for for accelerating on unintended consequences. He calls it complex forces. So he'll say, if you do an experiment, you follow your interests, and people start volunteering their time. Mm -hmm. Or people, um, you know, there are just things where You have to keep an eye out for the unintended exactly what you're saying, the unintended consequences, and you have to have a system for understanding when to when to seize on them. And I just I don't know, that book really got me thinking this way. So I recommend it to anyone who's who's watching. Thank you for sharing this.
1: Anything you would like to share with the audience that is new and you have not shared on any other podcast, Michael?
0: Well, when I wrote my book back Or not wrote, when I published my book back in January, um, the original plan back when I was writing the book was that I would add paid speaking to my um, uh, book of business because I love speaking. I really like the idea of teaching these concepts because I feel that they're very important. And um, I'm good at it, you know, and, and there's been a demand for these ideas. So I had a whole plan in place to once the book and, and it leads to other business and, and things. So I had a whole plan in place that I knew how to execute as far as I was concerned on um, this. And then we had a little global pandemic that, yeah, that sort a little, of put, that, yeah, <laughs> you, a little <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, fortunately, things are are, are are knock on wood, really rounding the corner at this point. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm starting to get serious in a big way about that again. I'm I'm lining up my contacts. I'm I'm starting to make pitches. I'm really getting serious about teaching these ideas to, to to a public audience. And I'm 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 really excited about that.
1: Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. And hopefully there will be more opportunities for giving speeches nationally and internationally.
0: And they were there were some digital talks and things like that, but still, I mean most of those were going to the people who already had a track record with that and 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 just selfishly the 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 uh, amount um of money you know is a fraction that that's paid for good reason right so um plus there's something about being in a room you know with a speaker yeah. um, and an extension of that is i'm doing these things called intact workers where we go into a company or organization sort of an extension of the talk where we, we just spend the whole day with the group or a couple of days and really create a workshop sort of environment where they can kind of internalize these ideas and have a set of tools to use them. So that's also been really gratifying.
1: That's terrific. Thank you for sharing this, Michael. Sure. People watching us, please share the link of this wonderful conversation with your social circle so that people can benefit from Michael's insight. Michael, what a pleasure to have you on Thrive.
0: The pleasure was mine. This was a wonderful conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you for being here. And audience, until we meet next time, keep safe, keep motivated, keep resilient, and see you in the next episode of Thrive. Thank you.